Kiora, this program is brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Wellington Access Radio, make your voice heard. My name is Victoria. I'm an alcoholic and chairperson for today's meeting. Hi, Victoria. (laughs) (laughs) We open this meeting with the serenity prayer, and I invite you to join me. God, grant me this serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Excellent. So the AA preamble goes as follows. Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. Uh, The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for AA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization or institution does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. So, welcome. Um, This is the Wellington Meeting on Air, and today we have joining us in the studio the uh, Sunday Came to Believe meeting. Um, So they're here to share their experience, strength, and hope. Um, and I will ask Tia to please read how it works. How it works. Rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. Those who do not recover are people who cannot or will not completely give themselves to this simple program, usually men and women who are constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves. They are such unfortunates. They are not at fault. They seem, seem to have been born that way. They're naturally incapable of grasping and developing a manner of living which demands rigorous honesty. Their chances are less than average. There are those, too, who suffer from grave emotional and mental disorders, but many of them do recover if they have the capacity to be honest. Our stories disclose in a general way what we used to be like, what happened, and what we are like now. If you have decided you want what we have and are willing to go to any length to get it, then you are ready to take certain steps. At some of these we balked. We thought we could find an easier, softer way but we could not. With all the earnestness at our command, we beg of you to be fearless and thorough from the very start. Some of us have tried to hold on to our old ideas, and the result was nil until we let go absolutely. Remember that we deal with alcohol, cunning, baffling, powerful. Without help, it is too much for us. But there is one who has all power, that one is God. May you find him now. Half measures availed us nothing. We stood at the turning point. We asked his protection and care with complete abandon. Here are the steps we took, which are suggested as a program of recovery. One, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. 
3. Made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. 4. Made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. 5. Admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. 6. We're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. 7. Humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. 8. Made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. 9. Made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. 10. Continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Many of us exclaimed, what an order, I can't go through with it. Do not be discouraged. No one among us has been able to maintain anything like perfect adherence to these principles. We are not saints. The point is that we are willing to grow along spiritual lines. The principles we have set down are guides to progress. We claim spiritual progress rather than spiritual perfection. Our description of the alcoholic, the chapter to the agnostic, and our personal adventures before and after make clear three pertinent ideas. A, that we were alcoholic and could not manage our own lives. B, that probably no human power could have relieved our alcoholism. And C, that God could and would if he were sought. Thanks, Thanks, Chair. Um, So now I'll open up the sharing part of the meeting. And Heather, would you like to share? Kia ora tātou. I'm Heather and I'm an alcoholic. And the um, Came to Believe group of Wellington is my home group. And I always think it's funny that I belong to a group that talks about coming to believe um, because I did not want to come to believe anything when I came to AA. And I, I thought this God thing was a religious thing. What you, what, you know, when I saw the word God, I thought religion. But I'll just read a wee bit out of the book that we read every, um, every Sunday. And it's on page 77 and it's called Came to Believe. And it says, a higher power, and this was written by Bill W. Our concepts of a higher power and God, as we understand him, afford everyone a nearly unlimited choice of spiritual belief and action. And uh, I thought, you were telling me lies, actually. Um, I thought AA was sort of like a beginner's religious group and at some stage you would get invited to some sort of better group or bigger group or a church to join. Thank goodness I've been in Alcoholics Anonymous for many, many days and no one's invited me to join anything else and I haven't had any whisper of there may be other meetings somewhere that I don't know about. So I'm beginning to think after 35 years that maybe they're telling the truth and that it is spiritual, not religious. And for that, I am really grateful. You know, I'd done the religious thing as a child. I'd gone to Sunday school and Bible class. I'd sung in the church choir. And I left in my teenage years because I thought they were all hypocrites and I wasn't, Um, which, of course, is just so not true. I was way more of a hypocrite than I ever thought and very judgmental. Yeah, so I came to Alcoholics Anonymous when I was 39 years old. I went into a treatment centre where I thought I was being treated because my partner 
who was an alcoholic, um, treated me so badly. And when I got to the treatment centre, they told me, no, you're here because you are an alcoholic. And for three days, I was stewed on that. I just did not believe it. However, they gave me a book to read. It's not an AA book, but it was written by the first woman to get sober and stay sober in Alcoholics Anonymous. Her name was Marty, um, and her story is in the AA big book. But she'd written a book because she became a doctor and specialised in alcoholism, and she wrote a book called The New Primer on Alcoholism. And when I read that, I could tick off all the signs and symptoms of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, Well, no, of alcoholism, I should say. They also gave me the AA Big Book to read, and I read that and I thought, what on earth has this got to do with me and my drinking? I couldn't see any anything that would be helpful to me. It was written in old American male language and I just found that pretty hard to swallow for a long time. But I kept coming to the fellowship even, and I knew intellectually they were right. I was an alcoholic, but I didn't believe it. So that first part of the first step, I knew that my life was unmanageable, but I did not believe I was alcoholic. But I kept coming to the meetings until one day, I was nine months sober, I was at a meeting in Christchurch, and a man called Derek said something, and I don't even know what he said, but what he said shifted my knowing I was an alcoholic in my head to believing it in my heart. And I'm just so grateful for that man, um, because it allowed me to start working the program in quite a different way to how I'd been doing it up until then. I'm a great believer in saying that, you know, it takes God, guts and AA in pretty equal proportion for me to stay sober. It may be different for other people. And for me, my God, you know, coming to believe, I have continued to come to believe in all sorts of ways. And at the beginning, I came to believe just because... You sat around tables in rooms that I was in and you said, this is what I was like. And I could see very clearly it is not how they were then. So I came to believe that it had worked for them. So maybe, small chance, possibly, it could work for me. And uh, it has, has proved right. It has worked for me. But my coming to believe is changes every year. Every time I change and have a new aha moment, a newer spiritual awakening, my coming to believe changes also. And I didn't think that would happen. <clears throat> I thought I was 39, I came into AA, it was going to be doom, gloom and ginger beer for the rest of my life. Life would be boring um, and I was just way too young to uh, stay sober. And I got a sponsor. I knew no one in AA would be good enough, strong enough, wise enough um, to see through me or to help me or to even understand the lifestyle I was leading. So I rang the AA office and asked them to give me a sponsor, um, which is not the way you do it, by the way, if you know, you're thinking about that. And they gave me the phone number of a woman to ring and ask her. And I rang her. She was about eight years sober. I could not believe anyone would stay eight years sober. And why would they anyway? But on the phone, she sounded nice. And I spoke to her a couple of times. And then I met her a few days later at a meeting. And I knew I had made the most terrible mistake. 
This woman that I had asked to be a sponsor, sight unseen, was a little old lady with white hair. And I hate to admit it, but I am now a little old lady with white hair. And it's sort of like full circle, you know. And now I do sponsor people and I can identify with anyone in Alcoholics Anonymous if they're alcoholic. Um, because we have so many symptoms in common. And for me, I just know that the program works wonderfully, wonderfully well for me, and my life is beyond my wildest dreams. So I am still coming to believe. I continue to think that next year I will be different again, and I will have come to believe at a deeper and stronger and, and different level because I keep... I keep doing the inquiry, the questions, the spirituality. That's, for me, what Alcoholics Anonymous is, and it challenges me to keep on growing. And I'll leave it at that. But you're all welcome to come and join us any Sunday, Wellington, Vivian Street, Trades Hall, at 11 o'clock. See you there. Bye. Thanks, Heather. And just a reminder that you're listening to the Wellington um meeting on air and we're streaming on access radio 106.1 fm uh if you or someone you know can relate to the sharing today and are wanting to get in contact with alcoholics anonymous in new zealand the number is 0800 229 6757 and you can find us in the meetings list on the website aa.org.nz and tia would you like to share my name is Tim, and I'm Pollock. Um, yeah, I'm really grateful to hear the sharing this morning already, um, and even the reading. So I was thinking about how, um, you know, I, I certainly didn't grow up thinking I, I want to be an alcoholic. Um, <laughs> I want to excessively drink and take other things and get myself into lots of trouble. Um, I, I grew up in a home affected by alcoholism, and um, from what I saw, um, you know, police and, you know, um, violence and, um, you know, aggression and, you know, moving from place to place, you know, I moved like 11 times before I was 11. So, you know, it wasn't something I, I was wanting to do. And I kept telling myself, you know, I'm never going to be like my parents because both my parents have, um, problems drinking. And, um, yeah. And so, you know, I saw my father, um, stop drinking but use religion and um and I went for a while there because I had this emptiness kind of this emptiness um in me and kind of just a um yeah feeling quite isolated in in the world and um and so you know I was quite desperate and I did try to go um with him um you know to to church and um but when I got there I just couldn't understand what people were getting you know I did wasn't getting the same thing from you know, from it that other people were getting, like, I just, um, I couldn't, I couldn't understand. And, um, and I really, you know, I was quite desperate. And, you know, from that point, you know, I had my first, you know, really memorable drink at 14. And, um, you know, I remember it, um, like it was yesterday, I, I felt like I was edgy, you know, just vibrating with agitation and anxiety and, and just having that one, drink and feeling uh, like go down warm my chest. And then I've all the you know, problems and fears and stuff that I had just kind of melted away. And, and I didn't realize, realize it at the time, but I was, I kind of tucked that memory away and it became the tool I used for dealing with life basically <laughs> for everything. And, um, you know, every time I, 
I found it challenging. If it was a good day, bad day, you know, um, it was my go-to. And so um, my drinking escalated really quickly um, over a a number of years, about five years. And, um, you know, to doing it on weekends, and I was, you know, um, quite aware that my drinking was not like other people's drinking, like my friends' drinking, where I was trying, constantly trying to get out of the house and um, sleep over other people's place and and I just have some stark memories of um you know showing up at a friend's house on the weekend and her parents are away and you know basically going straight to the fridge you know going like um no courtesy no no um respect or anything and saying well so when are we going to start drinking and her looking at me going oh I I don't feel like drinking today and I was baffled like how could you not like when there was a time you know opportunity um how could you not want to and you know, by the time I was 17, I, I had ended up in hospital from um, alcohol poisoning. I almost died. Um, and it was taken to ambulance, um, you know, by ambulance to the hospital. And, and and I am grateful today that a lot of my, I had a lot of consequences early. Um, my drinking was quite fast and heavy, but um, the consequences were heavy as well. So in California, they don't, um, where where I was living at the time, you know, they don't have free ambulance. Um, so, you know, I ended up paying my ambulance bills um, for the next coming months. And, um, yeah, and I, I was certain that my dad, having had a uh, drinking problem himself when I got home, was just going to lay into me. But he didn't. And it was one of the miracles um, that I've experienced was, you know, he was able to reflect on his own drinking. And when I got home, he just said, you know, we have we – have, um, you know, a kind of a predisposition, and you need to really uh, look look out for your drinking. You know, and um, it was a good dose of honesty. You know, it's kind of a bit of the moments of clarity before I found myself in um, coming to AA. And it was a couple years after that that I, you know, finally did come in. I was beaten. Um, I came in around at at age nineteen, and um, I'd, you know. Most of those years were filled with drinking, but to manage my drinking, I started doing whatever I could because I couldn't legally get alcohol. I wasn't old enough, but I somehow, um, so, you know, I was mixing all sorts of things to, to, to get the same effect, and, um, and I wasn't getting the effect that I had on the first time I, I drank. Um, and my body was in a really bad state, so I couldn't keep food down, and I couldn't, um, yeah, I'd go into DTs every couple hours, and... I was constantly skiving out of work early or um, at lunch to to top up. And, yeah, and, you know, I had a couple near misses where, you know, I had a partner or a boyfriend at the time, you know, throw me in the shower to kind of, you know, because I'd overdone it and I didn't know if I was going to, he didn't know if I was going to come to. And, um, you know, and my reaction to that was, you know, anger, you know, how dare you, you know, how dare you, because he was thinking about calling the hospital, you know. Um, how dare you? Um, and I was having these realizations where I was like genuine, like I'd come generally not want to do the same thing over and over again at one minute. And then the second, you know, the minute that that had passed, then I couldn't control it. You know, I'd be out the door and, um, you know, and my kind of moment, my, the next moment of clarity was when I remember the, ne- the, the morning, uh, after a night, I'd gone and um, been yelling at my grandmother, and um, and she was, you know, a really important person in my life, and um, I just knew I had to stop. You know, I'd been suicidal for quite some time, and drinking was a solution for a long time to keep me alive, but um, I just knew I, I, I couldn't go any further. So I ended up in detoxing, and um, 
through a hospital and they introduced me to AA. Um, when I went to my first AA meeting, I mean, on the topic of coming to believe is, you know, I thought, oh, God, I'm going to have to do that. <laughs> I'm going to have to do the religious thing again. Um, but I was just so desperate um, that I was willing to do anything. And, um, and you know, I had gone to meetings after that one meeting um, for about three months. And I started working. I had to go out and a sponsor and work the steps. And, um, you know, I, I didn't I had the benefit of not waking up and, you know, the hangovers, not having the hangovers was great, and a lot of the physical stuff was just amazing to not have. So that was, you know, a miracle in itself. But, um, you know, I'd, I'd worked up to step four, you know, so we have the steps one through 12, and I'd <coughs> set on all this anger I'd been brewing, you know, because before coming day, you know, the reason I drank was everybody else, you know, it was the problems in my life. It was, you know, if you had my life, you would drink too, and, um, you know, and, um, and I couldn't see that actually there was a problem within me, you know, that I was physically and bodily and mentally different than other people that, you know, have this obsession of the mind where I would constantly be thinking about drinking when I wasn't drinking and thinking about how I was going to get more. And, um, and then when I put it in my body, I just didn't know what was going to happen, um, after it, after I had the first drink. And I didn't understand that when I first came in, but, you know, after a period of time, you know, hearing enough stories and relating to them, I, you know, could see the, see the illness within me. And, um, you know, and so, I, but after three months of initially being in, I, I went out again for one night and, um, you know, and it, it only took a couple hours before I was in that same place, you know, it's, pro, it's progressive. I, I really believe even today that, you know, I don't think, um, you know, I feel like if I had a drink today that, um, I'd be back in a horrible state just like day one, possibly even, you know, worse um, immediately. And, you know, the first day I had sober this time around was the 19th of December in 2000. So I've just celebrated my 19th um, birthday. That's a special one. So I was, came in when I was 19. I'm 19 and um, I have 19 years of sobriety and it's been a long journey and it's 2019. So I'm pretty, <laughs> it's, a, it's a trinity of things. Um, and, you know, as far as life today, you know, life is, I was just thinking, you know, it's been a long, it's been a long journey. It, sometimes it feels like it, it's been a long time, but also, you know, I feel quite young and, and I, time to go by, goes by so fast. But, um, you know, during that time, I, I finished working the steps in the first um, 11 months of sobriety that time. And, you know, the third miracle, I guess, in the beginning is that, after that point in time, because they kind of tricked me, they said, hey, you work, you know, you can work with these steps. And if you still want to go out and drink afterwards, you know, you're welcome to it. We'll refund your misery. You can go back and do it. And um, I was like, oh, that's a good deal. You know, like I can't at least I can prove them wrong. So um, but I did work the steps. And by that 11th month that I realized I didn't want to drink anymore. I wasn't thinking about drinking and I actually wanted to live, which was really a big deal. Um, having been suicidal for quite, you know, that last year of drinking and and, you know, and I just had this, you know, not having faith, you know, I did it all really scared and anxiously, but I just was led by other people's faith, other people's belief, um, you know, in the meetings I was going to that, that change was possible. And, um, you know, so that's how I've come to understand, you know, a higher power or a God is that, you know, I can't see it. I don't understand it. It's bigger than me. And, um, you know, there's actually this one, one part in the big book that is just beneath um, how it works, and I think I might just quickly read it because it's basically the crux of you know my understanding of 
you know, why I need to believe in a power greater than myself and the benefits of, even if I don't, you know, have a religious belief is, so um, I'm just going to read it. The first requirement is that we be convinced that any life run on self-will can hardly be a success. On that basis, we're almost always in collision with something or somebody, even though our motives are good. Most people try to live by self-propulsion. Each person like an actor who wants to run the whole show. And that was definitely what my life was like and can still be like um, um, at times. So, you know, when I was drinking, I was constantly trying to control things and I couldn't understand that actually made, maybe I was not, I was the problem and, and that I couldn't control everything. And, um, and so, you know, it's become a lot easier to believe in a power greater than myself on that basis, you know, that there are lots of powers greater than me. Um, you know, a group of three people here is a power greater than me, um, than one person. And yeah, and over that, over, you know, the time since working the first steps, I've worked them a number of times. Um, I've been able to do a lot of things that I couldn't imagine I would be able to do, um, be of service to other people, you know, sponsoring other people and um, learning more about myself, but also learning about, um, you know, the, the world around me. And, you know, because when I was alcoholic, it was, you know, in my active drinking, it was, um, it was quite isolating. And, you know, um, I didn't experience a lot of life because I was just so fearful and self-centered. And, you know, I've moved to different countries. I live in a different country now. Um, I've made a lot of, um, you know, amends to my family, which means that those relationships are really um, thriving and, you know, uh, functional <laughs> in comparison to, you know, um, when I was drinking and they want me there, they want me in their lives and, and I want to be there and I participate in, you know, and just, you know, I don't know how to say it, traveling. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that have been created in my life, you know, as, as a result of, um, believing in a, a power greater than myself and, and working these steps. So with that, I'm going to end it and pass it pass it over. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks Tia. Thanks, Tia. And Val, would you like to share? Thank you. I'm Val, and I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Val. Hi, Val. And I am yet another little old lady with white hair. <laughs> I wouldn't want that to be a reflection of our group, though. <laughs> We're just not all here today. Things to do at Christmas time. Um, neither of my parents drank. I certainly didn't learn to drink at home. Um, I soon discovered, though, when I was a, a teenager, like you do, uh, try everything. And um, it became my best friend for a long, long time. It took away all the shyness that I had. I, I, I found it very difficult to make friends. In fact, I was, um, we had an attic room where I lived, and I used to play up there in a make-believe shop um, by myself, talking to my make-believe customers. And my mother was quite concerned about my mental health because um, I remember her telling me, I'm just like my cousin so-and-so, and I can't remember his name. But I imagine, as I discovered years later, um, because I couldn't find alcoholism in my family anywhere, but a cousin in Canada decided to do a family tree on my father's side. And um, it was riddled with people who ended up in mental hospitals. Um, I should clarify that a little bit because I was a very late baby. Um, most of my cousins were a generation or two ahead of me. Um, and 
you know, I really suspect that they were alcoholics and at that time there was no AA. So they ended up in mental hospitals and, and died there. And I ha it makes me doubly grateful today that I have AA in my lifetime. Um, it was somewhere for me to go that it wasn't, it wasn't there for them to go to. And it's, you know, in, in the scheme of things, it's not been around that long. But enormous, enormous success. All over the world, people are getting sober by practicing the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, I'm a great advocate myself of the big book. That's what uh, turned the lights on for me eventually. I can't say I came skipping into AA with glee. Um, I almost had to be dragged in here. Uh, I didn't think for a minute I was alcoholic. I'm, I'm baffled still about the illusionary nature of the disease. It was for decades it kept telling me I didn't have one, I didn't have a disease. Everybody else did. Um, so I was, I was doing things, crazy stuff. Um, like I used to sit in a, in a local park, not too far from here actually, just up the road, with the local Alkies. And I had a bottle of Johnny Walker in my brown paper bag and they were drinking meths. And I just thought, well, thank God I'm not that bad. <laughs> you know, as if normal drinkers do what I was doing. I drove drunk frequently. I, um, I, I remember driving home from work and screaming into my carport. The engine's still running, the door's still open. I can't wait to get inside to have a drink. And then, I, you know, that sort of, I relaxed then, had the drink. And then I remember I've got a baby in the car. Um, so I have to go and get the baby and shut the car door, shut the engine off, and then I'm, I'm okay, then I can have another drink and that I can get through, you know. It was just more or less constant drinking at the end, top-up drinking. Started off binge drinking at the weekends, but that didn't last long. Uh, it wasn't long before I needed to drink every day. Not full down drunk at the, at the beginning. I used to sort of manage it, um, but um, it didn't... Um, didn't, that didn't last long either, but the you know the bewildering nature of this thing is that I just did not see that the problem was the alcohol. It was you know everything, everything else in my life was wrong because like well, um, Tia has read that bit after how it works. So we want to control everything, and and anything slightly out of kilter, I drink, I drink over that. Um, I didn't really need a, a reason to drink. I thought I did. And it was only after I'd been to AA for a while, I didn't get sober straight away. I was eight months after my first meeting that I actually had my last drink. And I thank the big book for that because that's where I recognised myself, finally. And, and it was Fred <laughs> in Chapter 3, more about alcoholism. And that chapter was so powerful for me because it explained the thinking that went on before I picked up the drink. You know, I'm sort of sober-ish, um, haven't had a drink yet, and I and something in my head says, go on, <laughs> have a drink. You know, you'll feel so much better knowing I've got 30 years' experience of knowing what's going to happen to me when I do pick up that drink, and I completely forget that. It goes right out of my head, and I think this time it'll be different, and it never is. And um, and Fred's story was, I mean, he drank at the end of a perfect day, and that's what I did. I'd been um, in AA, I had a sponsor, we'd been working the steps, and and uh, we were out at Makara Beach, which is, you know, a beautiful part just outside Wellington. 
It was a beautiful day. Um, my sponsor was there with her little dog. The sun was shining, the birds were twittering, and God was in his heaven, and all was well with the world. Now, what do I do? I go home and sabotage that. I get plastered, because I don't know how to cope with days like that. It's so strange, you know. There always had to be a drama. So it was... Um, so I sabotaged that day, and it took me four days. I had a bottle of sherry in the, in the um, cupboard. It calls to me, you know, have you forgotten me? Because I was a whiskey drinker by choice. Cheap vodka when I couldn't afford it. I had got to being, a, I wasn't always a whiskey drinker, but I got to that stage. And that's whisker away from the old myths, like my mates. Um, and it was that bottle of sherry. And, and I used to think, sherry drinkers, they can't handle a real drink. I used to look down my nose at sherry drinkers and it was that that took me to my knees in the end and it took me four days to detox from that bottle of sherry and it was that and my sobriety birthday is like that four days after I had the last drink because that's when I was compass mentis enough to completely surrender to the disease and I finally admitted thanks to Fred in chapter three that I was an alcoholic it wasn't just about the physical drinking it was about the crazy thinking um, as well. And I understood then the doctor's opinion where they talk about the allergy, the alcohol, that when I pick up a drink, it's never going to stop at once. Something happens in my body that makes me want another one. And then the more I drink, the bigger the craving. And so it goes on and on and on. And that does not happen in normal drinkers. I did not know that. I looked down my nose at normal drinkers. I thought, there's something wrong with them. So it was all, you know, I, th I loved the doctor's opinion. Well, I loved the big book altogether. I'm a bit of a big book thumper myself. I wasn't when I first came in. I might tell you I was going to rewrite it, do you all a favour, because it's very dated and it's, it talks a lot about men. And I, <laughs> I had to look beyond all that to see the message, the wonderful message of, you know, people who drink like I did daily, um, having to drink in the end first thing in the morning to get myself out of bed, get going, and and top up during the day, um, it, it could actually get sober. I did not think I could ever get sober. And then coming up to Christmas, I was a little bit nervous my first sober Christmas. i just had my 50th birthday, and I was... I got through that all right without a drink, and then because it's close to Christmas, and then the... Um, I had, I must say, I came in at 48, but I had a drink on my 49th, which was a bit close. You know, I came in September and my birthday was in December. So I drank on my 49th birthday, got sober in May the following year, and then the birth, 50th birthday came up and I didn't drink, and Christmas was looming, and I was a little bit worried, it was just everywhere. And I bumped into an AA member in Newtown. I don't often go to Newtown. And like you do, you bump into an AA member. They are everywhere. <laughs> they wreck everything. And, you know, <laughs> and he was saying, oh, you know, don't worry if you're first so It'll be wonderful. And I'm thinking, no, it won't. It'll be boring watching everybody else get drunk. And, uh, but it was wonderful. And every Christmas since has been wonderful. And I am so grateful to Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, I was poo-pooing it when I first came in, didn't believe. I came to believe out of desperation, more or less. I didn't uh, believe in God of my you know, upbringing. I had to, to let go of that old idea and, and develop a new one. And it just keeps developing, and it just given me this wonderful life. And 
And so I hope everybody has a happy and sober Christmas. And that's it from me. Thanks. Thanks, Thanks Val. Val. Thanks, Val. And um, just a reminder, this is Access Radio. We're broadcasting on 106.1 FM. And Dan, would you like to share? Sure. Hi, everyone. I'm Dan. I'm an alcoholic. And um, it's great to be in the the meeting. It's nice to have a have a chance to share rather than always be the um, the host. <laughs> and it's very nice to be here as part of the Came to Believe meeting as well because that was a very important part of my early recovery. So you know, for for me, I mean, I um, I remember starting to drink at the age of fifteen, and that was when I could access my own supply, and that was a bit of a life changer. Luckily, I was tall, and reasonably confident at least um, when it came to to buying booze so I managed to um, start to drink how I wanted to drink and pretty soon I started to get into trouble (laughs) and my school marks went down like I had a pretty good year when I was 15 when I was 16 my um my marks were noticeably lower and and by the time I was 17 my final year at school I was I'd, I'd you know I'd gone from being quite a good student to sort of barely scraping by, really. <clears throat> and that was because I prioritised alcohol over e- everything else. Like, I, I was planning my weekends around drinking, planning how I was going to get enough money to, to get alcohol, uh, and <clears throat> planning who I was going to drink with and where, <clears throat> and um, having to lie as well to, to cover my tracks, and all this before I could drink legally as well. <laughs> And <clears throat> so I had a very different attitude towards um, alcohol than most people, well, you know. But although to me it seemed like everyone else was drinking the same as me because um, we were teenagers and that's what teenagers did. And that carried on through my 20s. And again, I started to get into more trouble. And quite early on in my 20s, I found myself in the rooms of AA. And I was there to please other people, really. I didn't re- think it was like I wasn't genuine about my. Um, you know, I didn't really think I had that much of a problem. I knew it was possibly getting pretty bad, but at no point was I willing to surrender and admit absolute defeat, not at the age of 20. So I carried on. And things were manageable, although uh, they did get worse at times. And I did have moments where I'd miss days at work, I'd miss various events that were important to me and other people, uh, you know, I'd, I'd get into trouble financially. Um, I'd end up hanging out with people I wouldn't normally hang out with, doing things which I wouldn't normally do or things I was embarrassed about. And, yeah, I mean, um, to me, it was I was just having fun. Like, like, life was just a big party, and I didn't want the party to end. And the, the party carried on until my mid-30s. <laughs> and... You know, I was one thing which I know now, and looking back, I didn't realise it at the time. I was completely and utterly selfish. I was thinking about myself and my plans, you know, and and how other people could help me in my plans. I was an absolute director trying to manoeuvre everybody to suit myself, and I, you know, things which. You know, like I was completely dishonest. There were people that needed to know things about me that they didn't know because I would lie. I'd put myself in situations that I was embarrassed about and I couldn't tell anybody. 
and <clears throat> I would, by the end of it, like I'd, I never hid my drinking as in hiding bottles around the house and things, but often I'd go out with friends and they would leave and I would pretend to leave and I would just go out and, and carry on and drink with people I didn't, I didn't know. And so that, I was hiding my drinking in that way. And um, eventually I had a three-day and night bender. After that, I, on a Sunday morning, I rang AA, having had no contact with them for 16 years. And they told me there was a, a nearby meeting, and it was at the Trades Hall on a Sunday morning at 11 o'clock. And uh, I know Heather and Val will remember when I came in, um, even though it was, you know, it was, it was you know, eight and a half years ago, but it's, it's still very, very strong in my memory when I came in and, um, you know, dishevelled and reeking of booze. And they asked me to, sh- to share. And, you know, quite often at AA meetings, you know, if someone's, you know, absolutely drunk, they don't get to share. But <clears throat> um, I, I, was, I was able to share. Uh, a little bit about where I was at. I was very upset and I had a big cry and they said keep coming back and so I did. <laughs> and I'm really grateful for that. Like I'm, you know, and that, that's to me now that, that gives me, you know, as every so often there are people that come into a meeting and they've been drinking and, um, you know, it's a difficult situation for many of us that have been sober for a long time but um, for me, I remember that I, I was, you know, it, you know I, I wasn't thrown out of AA you know, for for turning up after having you know, been drinking all night, and I'm really grateful for that. That um, you know, the, the rooms of AA were open to me, and so so from there, um, that um, the party stopped, <laughs> and um, yeah, so I'd, I I was desperate enough to listen to whatever whatever anyone said, and they said get a sponsor and start working on the steps, so that's what I did, <laughs> and. Um, as I said, that was eight and a half years ago. And my my life now is um, is pretty incredible. Like you know, I, I I feel as I'm living the life I was always meant to be living, and I couldn't quite get there because I was too preoccupied with um, you know with alcohol. And I think the the higher power thing has a lot to do with it. I mean, I, I was brought up as a Catholic, and I renounced that pretty quickly. Um, but I, I always feel as though I had a relationship with a higher power, but alcohol was a great blocker of that relationship. And I shut out the higher power all through my 20s and, and into my 30s. Then I, I soon realised that you know, having a relationship with a higher power, um, when it, I mean, sometimes I call it God and sometimes I don't. It's like, um, yeah. But I, <coughs> um, the, the relationship with the higher power is... Is an important is is the important factor in actually getting sober. It's kind of re- replacing alcohol with something else, and um, and I've I've replaced it with AA and, and and a higher power, and and I do pray every morning and every night, and and I, and I say kind of um, you know like set prayers from the big book, and I'm, and sometimes I don't really know if they work or not, but I keep doing them, and. But I do other things as well. I, I I try and I try and continue to to work on the steps, you know, on a daily basis. Like it's, for me, it's just reminding myself that I'm an alcoholic and I and I have to do things, you know, one or two things differently in the world just to make sure that I do stay sober, because I enjoy my life today. And and you know, if if I don't put my recovery and my sobriety first, then if I lose it, I'll lose a whole bunch of other things too. You know, things which I've you know, a, a life which I've gained and started to really enjoy from being sober, and so you know, part of that is coming coming to meetings and 
coming to these um, these meetings on air as well, and uh, and sharing to you know, quite, you know like a wide audience. So I mean, you know, I'm I'm eternally grateful for AA. And, you know, the, the AA has been there for me, and and um, you know, I'm going to I'm a happy customer really, and <laughs> and I'm, I'm going to keep coming back because you know, like I, I enjoy the fellowship and I enjoy coming to meetings and I enjoy being being part of the program. So I'll leave it there. Thanks. Thanks. Right. Thanks, everyone, for joining us today. And just a reminder that if you or anyone you know is interested in AA, the New Zealand website is aa.org.nz and the free phone number is 0800 AA Works. And I'll now invite you to join me in closing the meeting with the serenity prayer. Thanks, Victoria. God. God. Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. program was brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your voice heard. Thanks New Zealand On Air for funding the Access Internet Radio Project.